Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message. This morning, it is my pleasure and honor to welcome Pastor Joel Tmeyer this morning to share the word with us. Pastor Joel is the founding pastor of the Way Bible Church. He has faithfully served there for over 23 years now. Um, I, I told him last night and uh, even my family this morning jokingly, I said, when I grow up, I want to be like Joel. Um, he's he's my one of my role models and just love him to death. And all of you have heard him uh, here before. You know that we're in store for a great word. Will you join me in welcoming Pastor Joel this morning? Thank you, brother. Can we give God a good hand clap of praise for all he's doing at New Covenant Church this morning? Hey, I'm so excited to be with you guys today and everything that I've been hearing about New Covenant Church. It's amazing what God is doing here. And as you guys are in a series right now called Revival, I believe that you are revival ready. And we're going to talk about what that actually means this morning. And so the title of this morning's message is Obstacle or Opportunity. Obstacle or opportunity. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open your Bibles to Luke chapter number 15. And we're going to read three different verses of scriptures from Luke chapter 15 this morning. And I want to read you a quote that your pastor said last week about what true revival is. A true revival is is God recognizing his people have fallen away, grown cold, or are even on their deathbeds. And out of his immeasurable grace and mercy, he revives us. Amen. Isn't it, isn't it good to know that God is reviving us? We don't have to revive ourselves. It's not upon us to make ourselves come alive. It's on God and his mercy and grace that makes us alive. He calls his people out of obscurity, out of inactivity, or out of activity that is not of him, and restores us to a, to a living, a Christ-dependent, Holy Spirit-dependent life that proclaims the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of heaven. If you believe that, give God one more hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. And so as you found in your Bible, the gospel of Luke chapter number 15, the gospel of Luke chapter number 15 is all about three things that God really wants to pour his spirit into. And as you recognize these parables, they're all very familiar parables. You have the lost sheep, you have the lost coin, and you have the lost son, or in reality, it's the lost sons, plural. And God wants to restore, revive, and reconcile through these three passages of Scripture. And so the first one I want to read to you is Luke chapter number 15, verse number 4. And it says, And what man of you, having 100 sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? The Gospel of Luke chapter 15, verse 8 says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And then Luke chapter 15, verse 32, it says, And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he is found. Amen. How many of you know you're glad you're found this morning? Amen. You know Christ, you're at first service this morning, you're the found ones, amen? You're the ones you know Christ has touched your life, amen? So I want to read you some stats real quick because I am a stats guy. I love uh, stats and I love numbers, I love metrics, I love to measure things. And um, in this, in 2020, Barna released uh, some church stats that are very shocking. And this is where I come up with the title of this message, Obstacle or Opportunity. Obstacle or Opportunity. 
in 2020, Barna released these stats, and I believe since uh, we're coming out of the COVID pandemic, I believe these stats are even worse than I'm actually reading to you this morning because a lot of people have not re-engaged with the body of Christ since they were told to go home, stay home, stay safe. But can I tell you this morning, God didn't call us to safe places. He called us to faith places. Amen. And we as the body of Christ, it is time for us to rise up in our faith and get out and do what God has called us to do because 25% of Americans are active churchgoers. Only 25% of Americans are active churchgoers. This is down 25% since 2009. So in, in 13 years, there has been a drop of 25% of people who are actively going to church. And listen to what an active churchgoer is. One Sunday a month. That is considered an active churchgoer in churches all across America today. So we believe in the body of Christ that these are horrible statistics of what an active disciple, someone who follows after Jesus, would actually be. But if this is, the, this is what their research said. 43% of Americans are completely unchurched. 43% of Americans are completely unchurched. And listen to this, 32% of them say, I'm flat out not even a believer. Obstacle or opportunity? Are we ready for a revival that only God can bring? Because if 75% of America is not actively involved in church or is 32% of them are not even believers, we have the greatest opportunity in our lifetime to see a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that can begin to transform our nation as we know it. And how many of you know our nation needs a great transformation? Amen. And that's not a political statement. (laughs) That's just a statement when you look at the status of America today, We are not a nation that follows Christ, and we can say, God bless America all we want, but we need to say, America, it's time to start blessing God again, amen, and truly reach out to him. Listen to this, 68% of people self-identify as Christians, but 25% are practicing. This includes Protestants and Catholics. So this just isn't Protestant churches. Out of all the Catholics, out of all the other churches in America, only 25% of them are practicing their religion. 80% of churches are in decline. 17% of churches are growing, but only by transfer of membership. And only 3% of churches are growing by baptizing new believers every year. I'm so excited when I heard that stat that 20 new people came to Christ last year. 15 of them were baptized. That's worth celebrating in church. Amen. You guys are growing by evangelistic outreach and true conversion and transformation in the hearts and the lives of other people. Can we just give God a hand clap of praise for what he's doing at New Covenant? Come on. That's good stuff. And we need to celebrate those things in our church. And I believe it's not much different than this church because rural America is rural America. My town is only about 15,000 people. Our whole county's got 32,000 people. So we're really small with where we're at in location to the Metroplex. And we're about an hour. Uh, we're exactly 80 miles uh, northeast of Dallas from downtown Dallas, Texas. So we're past Lake Ray Hubbard. We're out in the northeast Texas, what I call God's country. Amen. And so we're out there in northeast Texas, and I, but I believe it's not much different here in Lampasas, Texas, because at our church, we've done the research, and it takes 30 church encounters a year for someone who is a consistent church member to be in a discipleship walk with Jesus Christ, meaning that they need to be at 30 different TWBC events. And that, that brings us to an average of our attendance is 2.1 to 2.4 times a month. 
And listen, the larger your church gets, the average of frequency of people attending church decreases, okay? And so we got to realize that. That's why it's such a big importance to put an initiative on discipleship now as you're starting to see this growth. As you guys, how much, what percentage since in six months did you go? 21% in six months. So you guys are experiencing a God kind of growth. But if we don't implement discipleship practices into it now, we're going to find ourselves as the average church where they're just showing up one Sunday a month. And so um, we've done the research and 48% of our city, Sulphur Springs, claims to have no church home or they haven't been in church in six months or longer or have no affiliation to God. So almost 50% of our city doesn't even go to church. And the funny thing is, all the churches seem to be fighting over the same church members. <laughs> when we have 50% of our city who, let's go get them. <laughs> let's run after them. I guarantee you, when you drove to church this morning, only one out of every four houses was getting up and going to church. Because you can just drive down the road and see how many church car, cars are in church parking lots. So in this, at these current trends, if it takes 30 uh, encounters a year for somebody to know Christ, um, at the, uh, with these current trends, to win 50 people to Christ and get them involved in his discipleship walk um, with Christ will take 1,000 church encounters for 50 people to come into a discipleship walk with Jesus Christ. So it's got to have our work cut out for us to see God do something amazing. And so this model that we're in, this model is failing because we've done this as the body of Christ today. The model of church we've developed is we've developed a come to me model when Jesus gave us a go to them great commission. Right? We've developed a come to me model. Build a nicer building and people will come. We've built a theology on the movie Field of Dreams... When Jesus said, go into the fields themselves because there the harvest is ripe. <laughs> Come on, somebody, that's good. <laughs> we got to shift the model. We got to shift the structure. It's not that Sunday morning gatherings are bad. Sunday morning should be the be all, end all celebratory thing of what we've done all week and the new people we're bringing to Christ. We need to come to the house of God on Sunday morning, but if only if our Christianity only consists of the house of God on Sunday morning, we must reevaluate what we call Christianity. We must reevaluate what we would call discipleship. And so let's read these scriptures again. I like to label these scriptures as number one, the wrecked, the recovered, and the religious and rebellious ones. So the wrecked ones are these. What man of you having a hundred sheep? If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. The lost person who, the lost person who does not know Christ, I love this, is because Jesus is still concerned about the 1%. Jesus is still concerned about the one. Jesus is concerned about the one in the grocery store that everybody keeps walking by that she can't pay her grocery bill and she has to keep putting items back on the shelf because she can't afford to buy what she put in her cart. God's concerned about the one. God's concerned about the one whose life is wrecked. That we drive past every single day and say, you know, I wish somebody would really reach out and God, you would do something in that person's life. Isn't it funny how as the church we ask God to do what God told us to do? God, you really need to send somebody to reach that person. Well, if you're the one thinking about him, maybe you're the one he's calling to reach them. The wrecked ones. Rescuing the wrecked is easy when a person's crisis is apparent. 
Right? So when you know somebody is in crisis, when their marriage is in crisis, their kids are in crisis, their career is in crisis, their family's in crisis, they got a crisis event going on in their life. When somebody is in crisis, it's easy to go rescue the one who's wrecked. But what about the unseen crisis, the non-crisis wrecked person, those who need to be rescued, but their life is good even without Jesus? How are we going to reach the 1%? How are we going to rescue those who are wrecked, those who are in crisis, even when they don't even realize they're in crisis? This is where it's going to take something greater than our great eloquent words. It's going to take a movement of Almighty God that He's going to facilitate through us that because we live in a different way, we act in a different way, we operate in a different way, even the ones who are content in life without Jesus will start gaining a hunger to have something deeper in their life because they view the way we live differently, not in the church, but outside of the church. We live differently and we will rescue those who are wrecked. I love Luke 5, 8 because this is the recovered one. Or what woman of you, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house or seek diligently until she finds it? These are the people who need to be recovered. These are the people with no place. He cares about the ten percent. She had nine coins. She lost one. That one coin is the ten percent. God cares about the ten percent. He cares about those who are struggling. He cares about those who are battling with depression. People who are in the house but misplaced, overlooked, and they feel like no one notices them. Listen to this. You are in the house, but you're not part of the house. You're a living stone because living stones don't leave. It's very possible for you to be in this house and feel like you don't belong and have no place, and you're the 10% that's lost even though you're in the house. Notice the Bible says she didn't look outside the house for the coin that was lost. These are the people in the house, Pastor Chris, that we got to find that they don't feel like they belong. They're not sure if they quite fit. They slide in, they slide out. They're consistent every single Sunday morning. This is why your groups are so important for people to find a place of belonging in the house of God, to find a place of fulfillment other than sitting in a chair on Sunday morning, checking the box that says, I went to church. We hear this all the time at our church. God's doing amazing things at our church we have higher attendance than we've ever had but i'm hearing this more and more often i love this church it's the the energy is great i love it the preaching is great the worship is great but i don't really know where i fit i don't know where i fit in the house you can be in the house but be lost in the house You can be in this church. You can be in New Covenant Church. You can be fully vested. You can give your tithes and offerings every week. You can come five Sundays a month on a five-Sunday month. Come on, somebody. (laughs) But still not have a place of belonging. This is our job as the church, to reach out to those who are the 10%. And then you got the religious and the rebellious. And the Word of God says, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And now he is found. I said this earlier that 50% of our city doesn't come to church. These are the de-churched. Jesus does not want a 50% full house though. Amen? Jesus came for everybody in my city. He came for everybody in your city. And if my city is like your city, which I do believe it is, that means 50% of your city has nothing to do with church or Christ or formalized Christianity as we would call it. 
And so we have an operating system that we must redevelop. You have the wrecked, the recovered, and the religious and the rebellion, and they all have one thing in common. They're held by the same captor. Now listen to this. This is a true story. It's the, and the title of it, when I read the news article, it was called Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome. There was a bank robbery in Stockholm, and literally what happened is the people who robbed the bank held everybody captive in the bank for a number of days, and the people who were the, holding the people captive started talking to the people who were in captivity, and they befriended them in such a way that the people in the bank started defending their captors because they fell in love with the captivity that was holding them captive. How many of us can look around, even in our own lives, and we have these things in our life that God is telling us to move past from, to quit, to repent of, to walk away from, but we love the captivity that will justify it rather than walking away from it. The 50% of the people who don't know Christ that are in your city, they've fallen in love with the captivity of complacency. They've fallen in love with the captivity of church hurt. They've fallen in love with the captivity of, I go to church, and you, or I don't go to church, and you go to church, and the only difference in our life is that you wake up on Sunday morning early, and I don't. We have fallen in love with the captivity rather than falling in love with the Savior who can set the captive free. And I say all this to build up to this point in the message. So all that was my intro. I had to build a case for where we're going. Amen? And here's where we're going to go. The question is, as the church, why are we not winning? Why are we not achieving? Why are we not changing? Why are we not winning And my question is this, could the answer be that many Christians believe in wishing rather than working? Could we believe, could could this be possible in the church? That we know that God is so almighty, that God can do anything, that God is still the God of miracles. He's still the God who divided the Red Sea. He's still the God who brought the people through the River Jordan. He's still the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ. He's still the God who turned a Saul to a Paul. Is it so possible that we believe in the supernatural moving power of almighty God that we've started believing in wishing rather than working? Because James said this, you have faith, great, But faith without corresponding works is, so we can have all the faith in the world, but if it's dead faith, and not faith that'll go to work, could we possibly believe that we believe more in wishing rather than working? How many of y'all ever said this? I wish my kids were better. All the kids in the room, y'all are perfect. We love you. We're so glad you're here in family service. Amen. Parents, I hear parents say, I just wish my kids would quit doing this. Could we possibly believe in wishing more than working? Or this, I wish I could just stop, and you fill in the blank. I wish I could just stop having these fits of rage. I wish I could just stop having that one last drink. I wish I could just stop putting those cigarettes down. I wish I could just stop dealing with this depression. I wish I could just stop fill in the blank. 
Is it possible that we believe in wishing as believers more than we believe in working? I wish I could just catch a break. How many of y'all ever said that before? Right? I wish we could just catch a break. Everybody has said that in the last two years. Come on. God, I wish we could just catch a break. And as believers, walking through this life, we must realize wishing never achieves consistent results. Wishing never uh, conceives, uh, achieves consistent results. And I say that because a lot of us, we say we're praying, but we're actually wishing. We say we're praying, but we're actually wishing because prayer consists of more than going to God with your problems. Prayer consists of going to God with your problems accompanied by a scripture that's truly the answer. Come on, somebody. And a lot of times we just go to our God, go to God with our problems rather than go to God with the answer from his word that will solve the problem, asking the Holy Spirit to inspire the word of God on the inside of us that will make real long lasting change. We just go to God and say, oh, God, could you please fix? Because we believe in wishing more than we believe in working. Wishing is an attempt to change with minimal commitment. Wishing is almost like you plan on failing. I'm going to say that again because that will change your life. Wishing is an attempt to change with minimal commitment. It is the New Year's resolution of your prayer life. Right? It's that New Year's resolution that says, at the beginning of the year, I'm going to do this. And by January 18th, which is a true stat, 90% of New Year resolutions have been broken. Because we in the body of Christ believe in wishing more than we believe in working. Wishing is an attempt to change with minimal commitment. Wishing is almost like you plan to fail. So maybe we need to change our strategy. Perhaps we need to stop wishing and we need to start working. And here's a phrase that I want to engage with you on this morning. Do we believe in wishing out or do we believe in working out? Meaning, when I started versus what I can do now. So, because my church is really familiar with me, everybody in my church knows I love CrossFit. I do CrossFit all the time. It is so fun. It's one of the best things you'll ever do in your life. Go sign up. Get a membership today, right? Y'all are like, you're the crazy one. Absolutely. If it's crazy, I'm going to try it, right? That's just me. But when I started doing CrossFit eight years ago, I couldn't do one pull-up. Like, like, literally, I couldn't grab a bar and pull myself up over the bar. Like, it's been my weakness my whole life working out, Daryl. Like, everything I do, like, I could do squats, I could do, I just could not do pull-ups, and I hated it. But when you go to CrossFit, a lot of stuff they do is bodyweight exercises, pull-ups, muscle-ups, ring dips, all that type of stuff. And when I started, I could not do one pull-up. And I had to make a decision. Do I keep wishing I'll get better at this, or do I start working at getting better at this? Do I start wishing, or do I start working? I decided one summer, by the end of the summer, I'm going to figure out how to do pull-ups. So they had this crazy weird workout um, in CrossFit, and they give them weird names, but this particular workout is called Chelsea, okay? And what it is, is every minute, on the minute you got to do five pull-ups, ten push-ups, and 15 air squats. And an air squat is just with no weight on it. You're just like going up and down, right? And so the first minute when the clock says go, 
you got to do 5, 10, 15 as fast as you can. And if you finish in 32 seconds, you can rest for 28 seconds. And then when the next minute hits, you do it again. And you do 30 rounds of that. So you do that for 30 minutes. And so I said, this is what I'm going to do. Every minute on the minute, I'm going to work as hard as I can to do a pull-up. And then if it hits the 30-second mark and I haven't got a pull-up, I'll do my 10 push-ups and my 15 air squats and I'll rest. And I'm just going to keep working on it. First week, I did that 30 minutes. Didn't get one pull-up. Second week, I did it three times, three days a week for the first week, three days a week for the second week, didn't get one pull-up. Three days a week for the third week, still did not get a pull-up. I'm going into the fourth week mad, frustrated, I'm angry, I'm fixing to say this isn't worth it, and I did the first day, I did the second day, and the third day I did it, the fourth week of practicing it, I got my first pull-up. I was ecstatic. Like, y'all say what you want to. Man, I was pumped that day. Like, you would have thought I just won the CrossFit Games. Like, I was on the podium. Like, I loved it. But here's the thing about that workout. It took me four weeks to get one. But then what you don't realize is once you get one, how much easier it is to exponentially increase. So in three months, I practiced it all summer. By the last week of summer, I was able to do that workout three times in a week. I was able to do five pull-ups, ten push-ups, 15 air squats, every minute on the minute. And I would average doing it in 28 seconds. I would rest for 32 seconds. And I did that three times in a week and crushed that whole workout at the end of the summer. Why do I say that? Because some of you guys in the room are sitting here wishing God would use you mightily for his kingdom. And God says, I just need you to start doing something. Like, I just need you to come up to Pastor Chris and say, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Like, like what do you need? I know I'm not gifted with kids, but if you got an opening, I'm going to try. Because I'm tired of wishing God would use me. So I'm just going to start working wherever you need God to use me. See, you want revival, but we don't want to work. We want God to save 500 kids in our community, but nobody wants to work with kids. We want God to do a mighty movement for our youth ministry, but we want to put the youth in a building over there. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Nothing wrong with your building over there. But you've got to make sure you really want them a part of you. Do you want the numbers or do you really want the people? Are we wishing out or are we working out in this life? If you're looking to survive in this life, you'll fall in love with the captivity that is holding you back. But if you're looking for God to use you, if you're looking for God to use you, you got to start working out rather than wishing out. We have to stop asking God to do what God has asked us to do. We must begin to shift our mindset from having a come-to-me church and developing a go-to-them method. We must make our minds up this morning about what we're going to do tomorrow morning. Because if you wake up tomorrow morning figuring out what you're going to do tomorrow morning, you've already ruined your day. You must make up your mind today what you're going to do tomorrow. And if you make up your mind today that you're going to tell one person about Jesus tomorrow or invite one person into church tomorrow, you're already preparing yourself for the conversation and you're not caught off guard by what God is calling you to do. I believe with all my heart God moves in prepared places and he moves in prepared people. 
And we got to begin to say, am I truly prepared for when God pours his, not if God, for when God pours his Holy Spirit out in this Lampasas region, am I prepared to do the work of the ministry because I'm going to be considered a seasoned believer when 400 lost people walk through that door? And we'll celebrate the lost coming to Christ, but are we willing to work for the lost who come to Christ to truly find a place of discipleship in Christ? I'm going to run through these last eight points really quick, okay? Eight points of being revival ready. Do you even know who you're looking for? Do we even know who we're looking for? Well, yeah, the lost. Well, where are the lost? Well, they're at home. Then why are you here? Have we identified who we're actually looking for? Or are we just going through life with glazed looks over our eyes with no identification of who we're actually going after? Are we willing to take a personal interest in somebody, which means personal investment and a personal invite? Or do we hope our marketing strategy works? Facts are this. 92% of people still come to church because they were personally invited. 7% come because of a pastor. 1% come because of marketing. So all the billboards, all the Facebook posts, all the television advertising, whatever y'all do, only 1% come because of that. 92% of people still come because of a personal interest, a personal investment, and a personal invite. It's on the church to go get the lost. Do you really want to have a relationship Or are they just a number in your worship center? After you take a personal interest in somebody and a personal investment and give the personal invite, are you willing to have an actual relationship with them and walk with them in their discipleship walk until they can walk on their own with Jesus Christ? Do you have something going on in your life that would make them curious about what's different in you and them? Curiosity in your life. What sets you apart from them, even though you are in the same circle? For example, when all your kids play ball, whatever, whatever ball it is, football, soccer, baseball, you got the soccer moms. You're all in the same soccer circle, but what sets you apart and makes you different? What sets you on a different scale than they're on? What makes your joy happen when their misery is abounding? What do you have going on in your life that makes people curious about who you are? I'll give you a quick testimony of a guy in our church. He started working out at CrossFit with me in the middle of the pandemic. He didn't know I was a pastor. And we had to do a partner workout, so we partnered up together. Every other word was F-bomb this, F-bomb that, cussing, dropping words like... I didn't say nothing. I just kept working out. I just kept encouraging him. I'm like, come on, bro, you got this. We're going to push through this. Come on, man, we can do this. And at the end of the day... We left, and we said, good workout, everything like that. And somebody came up to him and said, you know who that is, right? He's like, no, I don't know who that is. It's like, that's the pastor of the Way Bible Church. And he was mortified. He came up to me and apologized. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm like, what are you apologizing for? I'm like, lost people don't have to apologize to me for being lost. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> they don't. They're being who they are. They're being lost. And I said, hey, man, I love the workout. Let's get it again sometime. He's like, yeah. 
Six months later, he got baptized in our church, supernaturally delivered from depression, supernaturally delivered from uh, uh, illness, and then his family came to know Christ. His wife got born again, and then his oldest two kids got born again, and now their youngest daughter, who's three, is actively involved in our kids' department, all because the curiosity got to him. How can he act like that and I act like that? What's different in his life than his mind? How are you living differently to develop curiosity? The next one is this. Invite them to connect to something more. When you invite them here, don't just connect them to you. Connect them to five other people. Connect them to something more. The next one is this. Number five is have them encounter Jesus. That guy didn't know it, but he encountered Jesus that day. He didn't encounter Joel. He encountered Jesus because it was something different than the norm. Provide for them an opportunity to begin being more. Help them be more. Help them take the next step. Walk with them. Give them the opportunity to be more. And the last one is this. You just got to make the decision, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. This week, I'm going to go and do something out of my normal that will impact somebody else with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's leaving somebody a note on their desk that says, hey, I'm just praying for you today. Boom. Put your name on it. Stick a sticky note on their desk. Maybe it is that one person who you know doesn't go to Christ or doesn't go to church and needs to know Christ. And it's that one person that you think about continually. It's like, man, I just wish I had the courage. Well, now this is the time where you get courage. I don't believe in the church today that faith is the issue. We have all the faith in God. I believe the problem in the church today is we're not as courageous as we used to be. So what uh, God told Joshua, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Courage doesn't mean there's not going to be fear involved. Courage means I'm going to do it in spite of the fear. Courage doesn't mean that you're not going to be a little nervous, have a little bit of anxiety, and, and have just wondering, what are they going to think of me? Courage says, I see all that, but I see that they need Christ more than I'm concerned about my little bit of worriedness. So I'm going to be courageous, and I'm going to cross the threshold of my fear and go into a place of faith and walk out my faith courageously in front of them and invite them to a place where they can connect to something way more than a ball team or way more than a club that they're a part of or way more than the guys on the golf course. I'm going to invite them into a life-changing, transformational encounter with Jesus Christ. But it's going to take me stepping out and saying, God, I'm going to be courageous today. And make a change. Courageous could look like this. That when many of you leave here, you're going to go grab a bite to eat somewhere. Courageous could be as simple as when your waitress or waiter comes to you saying, Hey, how can I actually pray for you today? I want to pray for you while you're serving us today. I'm going to be praying for you this morning. Because you know what? Waiters and waitresses hate Sunday afternoons more than any other day of the week. Because they say this all the time. The people are the grumpiest, they are the worst tippers, and they all just came from church. Ask your waiter today. I dare you. I dare you. And if I'm wrong, I'll have Chris pay for your lunch. I'm going to close with this. But here's the one thing I want to leave you with. 
I believe God is ready to pour his spirit out on New Covenant Church like never before. Pastor Chris, I believe that there is a harvest in Lampasas that God has specifically called you guys to go get. But your church needs to embrace a spirit that's courageous. A spirit that says, I'm not ashamed. A spirit that says, I love New Covenant Church and what God is doing there, and you need to be a part of it, unashamedly. Unashamedly. But it's going to take courage. Because we've built a system, and we are a product of this system, of let's build a nice building, let's get great singers, let's preach a great message, and I wish that they'll show up. I wish that they would show up. Or we can flip the script today. That this is a Sunday morning time of celebration. And I want them to do more than me wish that they would show up. I'm going to go get them and show them that they belong. I'm going to go get them and show them what Jesus is all about. If we're going to be truly revival ready, if we're believing for God to pour out his spirit once again like never before, God's not going to pour his spirit out and his spirit go get all the people. He's going to empower you with his spirit. He's going to pour his spirit out, not just on this place, but in your heart. And he's going to empower you to be the change maker. He's going to empower you to be the courageous one. He's going to empower you to be the one that says, spirit of God, move in me to change the grocery store out there. Are we willing to be courageous? I'm going to ask everybody to stand this morning. I'm not going to ask you to step out and come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to do something crazy. But I am going to ask you this. If you would like for God to make you courageous. Okay, now, now it's a loaded question because yes, I want to be courageous, but when the opportunity to express that courage comes, you got to do it, right? So it's twofold. You can't say, I want to be courageous and never go be courageous. If you're going to want to be courageous, it means you're going to commit to overcoming whatever's holding you back for the sake of the person who needs to come to know Christ. And I like everybody to close your eyes this morning because I want this to be personal between you and God. And there's two questions I'm going to ask you here. Number one is this. If you want God to empower you with courage so you can actually walk out your faith, hold your hand up real high. God, I want to be courageous. I want to walk out my faith with courage. Everybody, if your hand's held high, just keep it up there just for a second. Pray this with me. Heavenly Father, oh, come on. You don't want to be courageous if you ain't going to pray with me. Everybody pray with me if your hand's up. Heavenly Father, today, I ask that you make me courageous. Give me opportunities to go into my city and see the harvest that you're seeing. God, give me opportunities to be courageous. Give me the boldness to step across my fear into a place of faith and tell somebody about Jesus. God, put one person in my life this week that I can bring to church with me next week. Help me be courageous in Jesus' name. You can put your hand down, but keep your eyes closed just for a minute. Now, here's the next question. Pray this with me. Heavenly Father, give me a name 
of somebody who I need to talk to this week about Jesus. And whatever name he's given you right now, I'm going to dare you to write it down. The Word of God says, write the vision down, make it plain. Write that person's name down. And I'm going to ask you to put it in your car or on your mirror when you're getting ready in the morning. And just begin to pray for that person in your opportunity this week. Some of you think when I say opportunity, you think God's going to bring them across your path. It may not happen like that. Maybe you're supposed to intentionally go across their path. Because God told us to go to them. And we're still asking God to bring them to us, even outside the church. God, if they cross my path, what the heck? Maybe you're supposed to go across their path. Maybe we're supposed to be the ones who go and engage rather than wait to be engaged. I'm praying praying for your boldness this week. I'm praying for your courageousness this week. I'm praying for that one who God has laid on your heart this morning that says, this is who I'm called to reach. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. God, empower us to be workers in your kingdom. Because we are revival ready. We don't see it as an obstacle this morning, God. We see this as an opportunity to step out in faith, to be courageous, and to go win people and bring them to the kingdom of God. If you believe that this morning, give God a good hand clap of praise. Amen. Eleven years ago today, our lives were drastically changed. This is September 11th. For those of you who didn't look at the calendar this morning, um, 21, it's a long time ago. Um, that day, uh, the way we communicated, the way we traveled, the way we lived our lives, the way we spent time with one another got changed drastically. Today, I want that to be a, a day of change as well, but not in restriction, but in freedom. Not that we would be walking in fear, but we would walk with boldness, like Joel just said. Change your life in the way you interact with the people around you. Let God be your God. Uh, Don't let another uh, tragedy affect us to the point that we lose freedom. (laughs) Where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Amen. Uh, If you're new to the area, if you're new to coming, but more importantly, if you're new to Lampasas, we have voter registration cards outside on a table on your way out. It has all the information on it that you need to get registered as a voter. It even has the little lines on it so you can just fold up, put it in the mailbox, and it's free to mail. Uh, be a part of the community. If you haven't done that, if you, you're new here and you say, oh, haven't done it, you got a couple weeks left to be registered so that you will be uh, uh, able to vote in our midterm elections that are coming right up in just a few weeks. Uh, look at the new co- uh, Church Center app that we have. A lot of things happen this week. We have our brand new New Testament 101. If you're new to the Bible, new to New Covenant, you want to learn a little bit more, it's an easy class to start off with. That's on Wednesday night, so look there. Also, if you're new to New Covenant and you want a chance to connect with us October 2nd, we're going to have the first of four connection classes in person in the Fellowship Hall, and it's going to be during the second service. So during the 1030 service, October 2nd through the 23rd, an in-person connection class. Don't forget, if you want to meet Pastor Chris, he's, our, he's gone. He's outside. Go outside these doors, turn the left, go over and talk to him. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your inspired word. And Lord, thank you for the boldness to walk out 
the truth that you've put in our hearts in the community around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 